Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Bibles or a device to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to continue in, uh, in the narrative of the Alpha and Omega, looking at Genesis and also looking at Revelation. And today we are going to talk about one of the most cataclysmic, the greatest, most significant things that's ever happened to the structure of this globe. Now, don't get me wrong, the creation itself and Jesus coming to this earth to die on a cross and raising from the dead on the third day, amazing. But this is the single greatest thing that's ever happened to this globe. Now, often we play it down, we, 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 we emphasize the beauty of uh, Noah and his family and this little floating zoo and, you know, the little ark, and we hang it above our babies by a mobile, and if you have one, that's cool, and we have little bedtime stories talking about Noah and this ark, and it's great, and it's real, and it's good to emphasize that side, especially if you're talking to your children, all right? But there is another side of this equation that often gets played down, it gets de-emphasized. And that is this, that although God is a God of love, God is a God of grace, God is a God of mercy, God is a God of gospel, but at the same time, God is a God of wrath and judgment. And this picture of this little floating zoo, although beautiful when you consider the ark itself and what's going on inside of that ark, there's a whole world outside of that ark that is being consumed with wrath and judgment by the flood. And we don't talk about that much because it's just not pretty. And we are a selfish people, and we want the gracey side of God, but we don't really enjoy the truthy side of God. We want the lovey-dovey side of God, but we don't really want the disciplined side of God. We're like small children. You know, they want what the hand gives, but they really don't want what the hand gives when the hand is giving a spanking. All right? And that is the world we live in. So, so we're going to pay a little bit more attention to that because we need to understand that, that just as real as the love side of God is, so is the wrath and judgment. And they don't always go well together. I mean, when you think about wrath and love, they, it's kind of like an oxymoron. They shouldn't really go together. They don't, they don't appear right. It's, it's just two parts that don't really seem to go together. I'll paint a picture like this. I have two son-in-laws, Max and Clark, and they're both in great shape. They're into physical fitness. They work out all the time, very strong, very physically fit. Clark now spends more time on his upper body than he does his lower body. And so if you saw Clark, he's in Honduras. I can talk about him, okay? If you saw Clark at the pool, you'd say, man, that guy's in good shape. You would say that. You'd say that. I mean, he's, he's got big shoulders, big biceps, you know, big chest, you know, abs. I got an ab, okay? He's got plural, abs, okay? He's got full package. But if you look from the legs down, you think Big Bird has left the Sesame Street building and has showed up at the pool, Okay? Now, he will tell you why this is, because he hates working out legs, and I, I understand that, okay? They'll, they'll kill you, all right? So, so he would own that. I'm not ta- saying anything he wouldn't say about himself. But when you see him, you think, that don't really go together. Man, all that and then that, you know? How's that even carrying that around? 
you know. And so that's the way it is sometimes when we see God in both sides of who he really is. We don't think they should go together. We just can't really wrap our minds or our, 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 our thinking around the reality that that is really who God is. And it's because of our selfishness. Uh, we, we, we find out that, that God displays wrath and love throughout his word. In fact, it all culminates in revelation, and we'll talk about that in a few months. And, man, when he pours out wrath again, it's going to be ugly. And, and it's important that we understand that God gives us ample warning, and he always extends grace. And so we're going to see today a godly, and, and, uh, a godly perspective of what this chapter 6, Noah and his floating zoo, really is all about. Now, as, as you read from chapter 4 into 5 leading to 6, we leave chapter 4 where Cain and Abel, the brothers we talked about last week, a tale of two worshipers, they show up and one brings a blood sacrifice because he was a prophet, that's Abel. Cain brings a physical thing, his works of his hands. God is pleased with Abel, unpleased with Cain. And Cain gets angry, and you, you see grace right there. You see God just like he did in the garden with, with shameful Adam and Eve. You see God calling their names, saying, hey, you know, and he tells Cain, he says, your face is downtrodden and you're angry, and, and, but if you make this right, if you do the right thing, it'll all be okay, but he doesn't. He goes out and he kills his brother Abel. Now, now from there, God gives Adam and Eve another son. His name is Seth. And so we see what the Bible says is a God-following people, the Sethites. So on the planet now, you have the Cainites, Cain, the one that murdered Abel, and you got the Sethites, Seth, who they said were, would be the, the follower, the God chasers, okay? You got these two groups of people, and that paints a picture of where the world is. We're not that many generations removed from uh, creation itself. We're not that far into the timeline, but something significant happens. And we begin in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now it says, when humankind began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of humankind that they were beautiful. Thus, they took wives for themselves from any they chose. So the Lord said, my spirit will not remain in humankind indefinitely since they are mortal. They will remain for 120 more years and then something's going to happen. Now, let me pause right here. I want you to, I want you to understand there's something going on here that's bigger uh, than you know. There's something going on here that is the most difficult, one of the most, if not the most, difficult passages in all of God's counsel in his eternal word. There's something happening right here that people wrestle with, and quite honestly, we don't know the full answer, but we're going to talk about it a little bit and, and at least g gather an idea of it as we move forward. And what it is that things have gotten so bad so fast that God says, I am going, only going to contend with man for 120 more years. In other words, he says 120 years, uh, and when 120 years is over, judgment will fall. He gives them a warning. He tells them. Now, in verse 4, or verse 3, he tells us that there's this thing going on where the sons of God marry the daughters of man. Okay, now what is that? Well, there's people who want to say, okay, you remember I just described the Cainites and the Sethites. Sethites, people believe, are the sons of God. And, and Cainites would be, uh, would be, uh, would be the, the people of the world, okay? And so, or the sons of God would be, would be, the, would be the Cainites and the, and the daughters of man would be Sethites. And so they come together and they, and they uh, procreate, okay? And they make this something different. 
a different population, a different, uh, a, a, a different thing that the world has not seen yet. Now, we don't know what that is. But I believe, as some would believe, that it's not men and women of a godly of the God followers and the ungodly people. I believe it's it's angelic beings who took on bodily form and procreated with women. And you say, well, how would you get that? Well, if we read a little bit more, it tells us some more things. It says in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth. Nephilim, giants. In those days and also after this, when the sons of God were having sexual relationships with the daughters of mankind. When these angelic beings maybe were having sexual relations with, with women. And it says, and they gave birth to their children. They were mighty heroes. They, they were famous men. Now, this is a difficult passage, and we don't really know. Why do I believe that maybe this is an angelic slash human hybrid? Because one, we're going to see what God's response is to it. Two, we're going to see what the motivation and the intentions of their heart was. It says in verse 5, but the Lord saw that the wickedness. Now, I want you to listen to these words that God's word describes the world as. He says he saw the wickedness of humankind had become great on the earth. Every inclination of the thoughts of their minds was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made humankind on the earth, and he was highly offended. So the Lord said, I will wipe humankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Everything from humankind to animals, including creatures that move on the ground and birds of the air, for I regret that I have made them. Now, you see what happens. That's why I don't believe it's just men and women. I believe there's something more significant going on there. And God calls it out of what it is. He says, I regret making everything I've created. And listen to what it is he created. Everything. He created the angels. He created the angels that fell. He created man. He created the man that followed him. He created men that didn't follow him. He created the birds of the sky and the insects of the ground and the animal kingdom. He created it all. And he says, I regret that I've made them. Now here, I want to pause right there. There is a God who created you with a purpose and a plan that's bigger than you understand. My question is, does God kind of regret that he made you? Because he has the ability to do what he says he's going to do right here, to erase or wipe it all away. You see, it's, it's important to God that his creation finds itself being who it is he's created it to be. And when we color outside those lines, when we reject or push against what it is, who it is that God has made us to be, God becomes displeased and he responds with this thing called wrath. So the title of the message is heaven-bound living in a hell-bound world. Heaven-bound living in a hell-bound world. I want you to know that although there's things in this world that we can enjoy and things in this world that are good, it's hell-bound world. This world, the title deed to this world was given to Satan himself in the garden. They cashed in the chips. They said, okay, we'll follow you instead of God. And, and, and Satan took, <clears throat> took somewhat of a possession of this world. This is the enemy's world. Now, God is still God, and he still ultimately reigns, and one day God will take it all back. But in the interim, this is, this is a Satan's domain. And man, he runs wild. Satan and those angels, a third of the angels that he convinced he had a better plan, 
they are on this earth with him. Many of them, some are bound. Many of them are here with him. That is what we call spiritual warfare. That's why when you turn on the television and you see some psychopath going into a school shooting up innocent people, it's because there are demons in this world, and they are real. They're just as real as the angels who look after you. They're real. They're just as real as God is sitting on his throne. They're just as real as the person sitting next to you. They are real, and we need to understand that, and they've been real since the fall. So how do we live heaven-bound in a hell-bound world? Well, God has given, like he always does, he's given us counsel. He's given us instruction. He's given us examples. He's given us a model, somebody that we can live our lives patterned after beyond Jesus and, and, and live heaven-bound in a hell-bound world. So the first point I want you to see is to live heaven-bound, it begins by walking with God. So on your worship guide, it's walk with God. Now listen how God describes one person. You know what we just read, man. I mean, hell is broken loose on this planet. It is upside down ugly. And God is unhappy. He regrets it. He's going to wipe it out, right? It says in verse 8, this conjunction, but, but Noah. This is what I love about God's word. He paints a picture of our depravity. He paints a picture of our fallen nature. He paints a picture of our rebellion, but he always holds out this other idea. He always comes in and says, he doesn't leave us hanging, that it's all corrupt. He says, but, but God, but Noah, but, 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 there's something changes. There's another perspective. And so this is what he says, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a godly man. Your translation may say a righteous man. He was blameless among his contemporaries, and he walked with God. Now, this is cool. This is amazing, okay? He begins, and he says, Noah found favor. Now, the word favor there in the Hebrew is the same word that we use in the New Testament for grace or mercy. He found that in this, on this globe when God wanted so badly to wipe it all out because he was so disappointed in the creation that he had made, in the middle of that, he extends grace, just like he did to Adam and Eve, and they were naked in the garden. Just like he did Cain just before he uh, murdered his brother. Now he extends grace in this world full of wickedness. He extends grace. And, and here's the thing. He says, Noah found this thing. Now that word found in, in, in the structure of the word is a simple, active, perfect verb. It implies and states that here's this guy in a world of corruption, in a world of wickedness, in a world that hates God, hates to be told what to do, hates the structure that God designed. It's just pushing back against God. Here's a guy, and he's looking. He is looking for this thing called favor or grace. He believes deep within his soul that even in the middle of all of this mess, there's a God who created it. And somehow, some way, he still wants to extend favor, mercy, and grace. Now, now, now where would he get that? I mean, it's just Noah. Where would he get this idea that there's a God who is gracious? That there's a God who, 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 who extends love even amidst wickedness because it's in his lineage. You see, he can look back not too distant past, and he's heard the stories from Seth and from his grandfather and great-grandfather. He, he's heard the story of how when Adam and Eve did it all wrong, 
God came to do it right. That when Cain was wanting to do it all wrong, God came and offered something right. Not only that, but when you look at his family tree, you see people in there like Methuselah. You see people in there like Lamech. You see a guy in there whose name is Enoch. Enoch is an amazing guy. The Bible says, the first person this is, re- this is referenced, that Enoch walked with God and was no more. That's beautiful. That's so cool. You know what that says? That Enoch was so close to God that he didn't just die, turn to worm dirt. He's walking with God, and he just walked right on into the presence of God. He was raptured from this world into the next with God because he walked so closely to God. Now, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So here's this guy, Noah, and he's looking. And he's looking around thinking, man, this world has come apart at the seams. It is unplugged, it's uprooted, it's upside down, and it's a mess. But you know what he's thinking? He's thinking, but I got, I got old great-grandfather uh, Enoch. Man, he, 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 he knew another side of existence. I, I remember the stories of what my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, well, however far you go back, Adam told the story, and man, there's a God who's bigger than this mess. There's a God who loves us in spite of the mess. And and so what I'm going to do, Noah says, I'm going to be looking for some favor. I'm going to be looking for some grace out of this God in a world gone bad. Every day, you need to be looking for favor. Every day, you need to be looking for mercy. Every day, you need to be looking for grace. Every, why? Because God is issuing it. God is, is extending it into your presence. He's offering you every day the opportunity to come in from outside of that mess and to walk up close and personal with the God who whispered you into existence. That's good, good news, man, that God is that kind of a loving God. Now, it tells us something else about this guy. Not only, not only did he find favor, but it says he was righteous and blameless, or he was godly and just. Now, I want you to know something. In this, we find out what is the difference between a Noah and most Christians today. Most God followers today they, they, they want the righteousness from Jesus in our life. So they, they say, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I got, man, I asked Jesus in my heart. I got this going on. But you see, there's something different. When God comes into your life, if you, if you are righteous before God in Jesus, if, you're, if when God looks at you, he sees you righteous before him, right, a right standing before him, let me tell you, that's vertical, and you got it right. But if you get your vertical right, you're going to get your horizontal right. If you are blameless before God, you are going to act right and just before the people in your circle. Now, let me explain what to me. The whole lot of people, man, they come to church and they put on their Christian uh, outfit. They put on their Christianity and they come to church. And then when they go outside those doors, they act like the devil. And I was going to tell you, because when they come to church, it ain't right. They're not right before God. And if you're not right before God, you will not be right before the people in your circle. Let me tell you, give you an example. I try really hard to be right before people because I'm right before God, not because of me, but because of Jesus. And man, Jesus just smathers me with grace. What he did on the cross just, just, um, just pours over me, just 
just bathes me in grace. That's what Jesus did, and he does it every day. And when I get that right, then it means when I leave this place or when I leave, go into this world, I'm supposed to live different with the people around me. So this week, we started trying to build a house right in the middle of monsoon season, okay? And so we dug the dirt up, you know, and it's a big mud hole over there, and I love it because what are you going to do? You're either going to start or you're going to wait till summer gets here. Chris, I'm going to tell them the truth. you got to press on. you just got to go for it. So we went for it. So I had some guys, and they were putting some siding on, and these, these guys are rough. And if you're in construction field, you know, because construction field, they don't do a drug test. They don't do a background check. If they did, they don't really care, Okay. So you murdered your mama and your two siblings. You want to put on a roof? You know? I mean, it's okay. I don't know. Something's different right there. So I said, hey, y'all like pizza? I'm going to buy your lunch. Because I knew if I bought their lunch, it'd give me an opportunity to pray for them. So I bought their lunch. I said, y'all like pizza? Yeah, we like pizza. So I brought pizza over there. And, and man, they, I said, hey, pizza's here. So they came over and I was like, I, and man, they, you could see them, man. They were getting ready to tear into some pizza. I said, hey, before we do, I'd like to pray for us. You would have thought, I mean, they're like, you know, I didn't say I was going to kill you. I said, I'm going to pray for you, okay? And so, so I started praying for them. And I, I prayed for I prayed for everything about them. I, I, prayed them. I prayed them all over. I prayed for their wives or two or three of them or the kids spread all over the countryside. I, I, you know, I prayed everything. I prayed, yeah, I prayed they'd get some teeth. I prayed everything, okay? <laughs> Why? Why? Because when you get this right, this gets right. And when you get this right, you care about all these around you. It changes the way you see your world when you see God for who he is. And when you see that grace side of God, and if you get the grace that he's given you, the redemption that he offers you, then you cannot help but to want to share it with the world because it's the best thing that's ever happened in your life. And so we see a picture of this righteous, blameless guy. And his name is Noah. And, and so Noah walked one step at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time, one life at a time, thinking, man, God, you are so good. You love me in spite of me. Blows my mind. And you love all these people too. And you've given me favor. So I, I was thinking about how cool that is that you just walk with God every day. And so I wrote this down. It says, Noah saw this whole broken world, and he felt it pressing in upon him like we do. So Noah determined in his heart, I will not look at the situation of my world before first I look higher I reach higher, I see higher, and therefore now I will live higher. And every day that I live higher, I will invite this old broken world to live higher with me. That's what God's called you to do. Every single one of us. This, God is so smart realizing that we are so dumb. He did not create rocket science. He created the gospel, the power of the gospel to save. And he says, listen, your job is to get right with him and then to get right with people. That's your job. You say, are you sure? Okay, in the New Testament, the Pharisees came to Jesus. You remember the story. Hey, Jesus, Mr. Rabbi, you know, say you're brilliant and all that stuff, you know. Okay, what's the greatest commandment? Because they're always trying to trip him up. What's the greatest commandment, Rabbi? And he says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
That's this. And then he says to love your neighbor as yourself. That's this. That's what we're called to do. And that's what Noah did, love God and love others. So heaven-bound living in a hell-bound world begins when we walk with God. And I want to encourage you, challenge you, man, experience a little walk with God. Just put your hand up because his hand's already extended and say, God, take my hand. Let's go for a walk. And you will be absolutely amazed at that little walk. Number two is along with walk with God, we've got to work for God. Now, we live in a world that wants to embrace this idea called Reformed theology, Calvinism, whatever name you want to put on it. And I'm partially Reformed. You know, I believe a lot of that stuff. I'm not fully Reformed because I believe we have a responsibility to receive grace. The Bible says that he received it and he did something about it. Now, I want to say this. When I say work for God, it's not to merit his love towards you. I don't want you to leave today and think, well, the pastor said, if I'm, if I'm a good boy, if I'm a good girl, if I do what I'm supposed to do, God's going to love me. I want you to understand right now, everybody listen, I want you to understand, God will never love you any more than he does right now. Listen to this, God has never loved you any less than he does right now. God's love towards you is not contingent on you. God's love towards you is because he is Love. And so on your best day, you get infinite love. On your worst day, you get infinite love. And so when I say work for God, it's not for a salvation. It's not for mercy or grace. It's because of it. Because when you get this right, it makes this right. Now listen to what he says. He says in verse 13, so God said to Noah. Let me pause right there. I, I've never had God speak to me audibly. If he spoke to you audibly, fine. It may have been you just had bad Mexican food. I don't know. God still can speak audibly. He can do that, and that's fine. He's never spoken to me audibly. Listen to me. He has spoken so much louder than audibly. I have trouble hearing. If you're around me very long, you will notice I have to say, and it's embarrassing, do what? Huh? What'd you? And after about three times, I said, oh, yeah. I don't know what you said. Okay. So it's so bad that a few years ago I had to go and get a hearing exam and he did all the, you know, they put the earmuffs on and they say, we're going to start giving you a little chirp. And when you see a chirp, just raise your hand. When you hear a chirp, see a chirp, that's a special test. Okay. When you hear the chirp, you raise your hand. I'm sitting there. I'm, and you know, it's like getting your blood pressure checked. When they put that cuff on there, your heart starts going, you know, it's going to be 8 million over 6 million. Okay. So I go in there. As soon as they put the earmuffs up, anxiety sets in. I'm sitting in there like this. Uh, no, Mr. Dewey, we hadn't started yet. No, I, I was just waving, you know. And so the chirping, so they give me a loud chirp to get me going, beep, nailed it, got it. I heard that, okay. And as you go, the chirping gets lower and lower, and then your, your mind starts, I hope I'm not the only one that's crazy, but your mind starts imagining a chirp that does not exist. And I know they're in there thinking, this guy is wasted, okay, because I'm like, I think I heard a chirp, but now my ears are ringing. I hear one continuous chirp, Okay. Now, here's the thing. At the end of it, the, the audiologist says, uh, Mr. Dew, uh, have you been around industrial noises? <laughs> well, yes, I have. What were you around? A lot of compressed air. I've been around construction sites, skill saw, that stuff. He goes, well, Mr. Dew, you're almost deaf in this, in this little range, decibel range. And what's odd, it's about the same as a woman's voice. I said, no, you didn't just say that. 
Can you say that again? Because I've been telling my wife for years, I'm deaf. And she says, no, it's selective hearing. No, there is no hearing, okay? And, and so we deal with it in our house all the time, okay? Now, now listen, so I know this hearing, when anybody speaks from here up, I'm going to mess that up. I can't hear it very good. But listen to me and hear me loud. When God speaks to your soul, when God reaches down past the gray matter, the eardrums and all that, when he reaches right down into the heart of who you are and he whispers like only he can, you will not mess that up. You may disobey it. You may push back against it, but you will not wonder what he's saying. And I want you to know this is what happens when you walk with God. When you put your hand up and say, God, let's go on this walk. He will speak into your heart. He speaks through his word. He speaks when you pray. He speaks through people in your world. He speaks through the pastor. He speaks by the Holy Spirit. He speaks. He speaks. He is speaking. The question is, will we hear him? So here's Here's the picture of what it looks like when we do it right. He says, so God said to Noah, and I don't know if it's audible or he just reached past that. He says, I have decided that all living creatures must die. <laughs> That's a good way to start your conversation on your morning walk with God. Hey, Noah, I'm going to kill everything. Okay, thank you for the wonderful day. He says, all the creatures must die for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am about to destroy them and the earth. Now, this point is called work for God. And I do not pretend and dance around the fact that we are supposed to work for God because he's graced us. We should work for him. Now, I want you to listen to the words of action that he calls Noah to. Verse 14, make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you should make it. The ark is to be 450 feet long. By the way, your translation may cubit, may say cubits, and you never knew what that was. It's about a forearm's length, which is kind of odd because everybody's forearm's a little different. That's some serious uh, quality control right there. Okay, so, so here it is. He tells us that it's going to be this big. I want it 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Verse 16, make a roof for the ark and finish it, leaving 18 inches from the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am about to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under the sky all the living creatures that have breath of life in them. Everything that is on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. You then will enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. You must bring into the ark two of every kind of living creature from all flesh, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Verse 20, of the birds after, the, after their kinds, of the cattle after their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you so you can keep them alive. And you must take for yourself every kind of food that is eaten and gather it together and it will be food for you and for them. Verse, uh, verse 7 of the next chapter, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. You and all your household, for I consider you godly among this generation. You must take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, the male and its mate, two of every kind 
of unclean animal, the male and its mate. Verse 3, and also seven of every kind of bird in the sky, male and female, to preserve their offspring on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will cause it to rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe from the face of the ground every living thing that I have made. Now, here is this story that we talk about, we hear about. It's popular. It's the most popular Bible story on the planet. In fact, almost all cultures have some form of a flood story in their history. Almost all cultures embrace the idea that once upon a time there was a flood, a global catastrophic flood that destroyed everything. But we live in a world today that says, well, I just don't really think there's a flood. I you know, I mean, I like the idea of Noah and the little floating zoo, okay? Got it hanging as a mobile on my kid's bed and hanging on the wall, and I tell a little story and all that. But I, the whole idea of a global flood, I, I think it's a little absurd. The big boat that floats, I think it's a little absurd. I'm going to tell you something, okay? There is an ark. There, there's a very real ark. You can drive to, Lexing, or to Kentucky and see it, okay? Just saying. And I would encourage you, go up there, pay them 50 bucks or whatever it is, and go look at this ark because it's really cool. It's amazing. Makes you realize, hey, this is a doable thing. In case you are, uh, in case you like to question the things of God. But let, let me just come back here to to the Bible story again, and let me let, let me talk about why it's okay to believe in a global flood that rocked and shook and broke this world. Geologists, most of them believe that there was once upon a time a global flood. They believe that. Fossil records point to a global flood. Listen, this is beautiful. We lived in Alabama. Central Alabama. In central Alabama, you can look at you, you can GPS it. There's a place called Sand Mountain. Sand Mountain is in the middle of Alabama. No, not even close to the ocean. Not, not even close to the ocean. But while digging up there, it's very common that they run across fossils of sea creatures. You know how they got there? Somebody was trying to fool the naysayers. So they went to Destin, Florida. And they dug up a bunch of dead sea creatures, put them in a truck, carried them up to central Alabama, and spread them all over Sand Mountain. No, they didn't. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There was a flood. And these sea creatures were swimming all over. And when the waters receded, some of those sea creatures landed on Sand Mountain in central Alabama, covered with dirt, turned into fossils, and now we dig them up. Fossil records point to a real flood. Not only that, but Jesus refers to the time in which we live common to in the days of Noah when we marry and give and marry and we eat, drink, and be merry, okay? Even Jesus believed in a global flood. So if you don't believe a geologist and you don't believe a fossilologist, okay, you can believe Jesus because he believed in it too. Now, God said to Noah, and this is, this is the greatness of it. I want to tell you what one of the greatest problems in the church today is. There's many people who are born again. Many of you are born again. You're saved. No doubt about it. I'm born again. I'm saved. But what we do often is we get our, we get our card punched, kind of. We get our ticket to heaven, and, and it's like, okay, it's me and God forever, okay? And meanwhile, there's a whole world around us that's going to hell, and we don't care. We have apathy, okay? We're complacent. We go through days without witnessing to anybody. We go days without inviting anybody to come to church to hear the gospel, to, to be a part of a group of people worshiping our God. And so we, we just get our grace. 
and that's it. And I want you to see here that when Noah found favor, God said, you got favor. You got grace. So Noah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Big Lots and get you the biggest bag of cheese balls you can find and go home and watch uh, rerun episodes of Oprah Winfrey or The Living Dead or whatever your flavor is because I'm going to save you and I'm going to wash everybody else into oblivion. Is that the story? No. Noah had a call on his life to be a part of God saving the world. Saving the world. I, I, I want you to know that God has called you to be in his kingdom agenda of saving the world. I, I want you to know today that when, 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 the, when the New Testament speaks and says, go you, therefore, and make disciples, he's not talking to the person on your left or the person on your right. Or Clark, my son-in-law in Kelsey, and my daughter in Honduras, he's talking about you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's talking about me. Yeah, you don't really, didn't really want to hear that, but, but that's what he says. And then we move a little forward, and we find Paul, who was arguably one of the greatest evangelists who's ever lived. And, and Paul would say this. He says, I do, I do all things. He says, in fact, I have become all things. To all people, so that by all means I might save somebody. Isn't that amazing? Here's a guy who was educated by the greatest uh, academic system of its day. He spoke multiple languages, he had everything going for him in the religious world, and he cashed it all in to follow Jesus Christ. And he said, everything I do, when I wake up in the morning until I lay down at night, my calling, my goal, my hope is to get somebody out of a hellbound condition and put them on a path to heaven. And so Noah got this early. Now, he got some pretty amazing instructions, right? And if you go look at the ark in Kentucky, it'll kind of wake you up. Because when you get off the interstate, before you get off the interstate, you see this big clump of wood laying over there in the field. You're thinking, man, what is that? Well, that's the ark. And when you go in it, you're like, well, I didn't really get this. I, you know, I mean, it'll smoke you. It's really, really good. And you'll say, oh, that's how they do I mean, they got systems in there how to get rid of all the poop. Yeah, I said that from right here. Yeah. They got systems in there how to get fresh water. They got systems in there how to, uh, how to give oxygen and fresh air. They got systems in there. And, and is that the ark? I don't know. But this, all this information came from people who had done things like this in the past, from shipbuilders uh, in history. Amazing. Now, here, here, here it is. When you got saved, God called you to a task. If you are saved today, God has called you to a task. I don't know what your task is. I know what my task is right now. My task is pastoring this church, is to shepherd you. My task is to speak, preach God's word. That's my task. My task extends beyond these walls and goes out into a community where I'm to share the gospel. My task is this, and I love my task. I love, I love what God has called me to do. I was in a conversation this week, uh, just the other night, 
And there was a pastor sitting in the circle, and he was talking about churches he had been at. And uh, Kyle, you were there with me, and I don't know if you listened to him, but man, he was talking about what, how terrible churches were, all of them. Every church he'd been to was awful. I'm sitting there thinking, common denominator ain't the church, it's you. I didn't say it, I just thought it. But then at the same time while he's talking about what terrible churches he was at, he talked about what a good job he did. I'm like, no, I don't know no about that, okay? And I'm sitting there thinking, and I hear it all the time, pastors kind of moaning and complaining about their church. You can follow me around 24-7. I do not moan and complain about the church. I do not com- moan and complain about the church generally because the church generally is the bride of Christ, and it ain't nice to talk about Jesus' wife, Number two, I don't talk about the church that God has tasked me and called me to pastor because I absolutely stink and love y'all. And most of y'all like me. It's a good relationship, okay? And I am totally blown away by what God's doing in our midst, in individual lives, in families, and in our church. So I don't talk bad about our church. I love our church, and I love my task. Now, here's what he says. Listen to verse 5. And you had this huge task. And your task, I don't know what it is, but you need to find out what your task is. If you're saved, you have a task. Verse 5 says, And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. He did all that the Lord had commanded him. I want you to look around. You'll see some empty seats. And some of y'all thinking, not enough. I need a little elbow room. Okay? Too many empty seats. Too many empty seats. You got a task. Find somebody that's not churched, that's either lost or drifted away from church, and they need a church home. And and you don't have to look far. Some of them stayed all night with you last night. Some of them uh, are in the house next to your house or in the apartment next to your apartment. Some of them are fellow students at school. Some of them are your teachers. Some of them are your parents. Some of them are every, they are everywhere. And you have a task, and God has called you and commissioned you to be about this work. And so as our worship team comes forward, I, I just want to tell you this. When, when we have a desire to live heaven-bounded in a hell-bound world, it begins when we walk with God. And I want you to hear me today. Some of you all, if Jesus comes back today, and he could, nothing needs to be done for him to return. If he comes back today, you and I will be raptured into God's presence in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye, we'll be raptured into his presence. But some of you will be left right here because you do not walk with God. And you cannot walk with God outside of righteousness. And you cannot have righteousness outside of Jesus. There is no other way. I said last week, Jesus is not a good way to heaven. He's not even the best way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, Jesus said, The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come to give you life abundantly. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. So if you're here today, I have a very sober, sobering question for you. Are you born again? Does the King of glory, Jesus himself, live in your life? Is your hand in the hand of God? because of what Jesus has done for you. 
If it's not, the Bible says this could be your day of salvation. You say, well, what is that? how do I do that? I want you to hear me. If you're here and you're lost, I want you to hear. And you know if you're lost because God speaks very clearly about that. And he's calling you. He's inviting you. He's extending grace to you. You got to look for it. Jesus said, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And so you simply say, God, I'm looking for that grace. I need you to come into my life. I've tried to do things myself. I've tried to be good all by myself. And I'm really good at being bad. I'm really bad at being good. So I want you to come into my life because of what you've already done for me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know you died on a cross to forgive my sin. I want your grace gift to come into my life. I want to be changed forevermore. I want to be heaven-bound in a hell-bound world. I want to be changed from the inside out, not the outside in. Please save me today. And let me tell you what God does when he hears a sinner prayer. He responds, and he says, I'll save you. I've been waiting for this for a long time. And that's some of you today that need to do that. I don't beg you. I just present the gospel, and you respond. But there's a whole lot of us in here who are born again. Man, Jesus is in our life, but we've put our faith on a shelf, and we do a religious thing. We come to church, or maybe we pray a little bit, but when it's in reality, we don't really walk with God, and every day we're not working for God because of the great gift he's given us, and I challenge you, let this be the day that you say, God, I try to walk with you in Jesus. It's time I start serving you. I want to work beginning today for your kingdom. We have an altar up here, and sometimes people think it's like taboo, like, like this is scary land up here. And I don't know what it is about people staying in their seat. Now, I'm not begging you to come. I, I just get frustrated because I know there's something happens when you humbly go before God and say, God, I, I'm here on my knees. I don't care what people think. I'm on my knees, God, because I want something more from you than what I have experienced. And it's not your fault, God. It's mine. And so I'm here, God, crying out, saying, touch me. Get real in me. Change my life. Change the beat of my heart. Change the breath I breathe. Change the words of my mouth. Change the things I desire to look at. Change my compassion for a lost world, God. Please touch me like you used Noah. Use me in a mighty way. But what we do, we stay in our seat, man. We, we white knuckle our chairs. I'm not going up there. I'm not, I'm not telling people that I'm lost because I've been going to church playing Christian for a long time. And now it's going to come out, the big reveal. I'm coming out of the closet. I'm lost and I need to be saved. If that's your fear, I want you to know today that God understands where you're at. And he's saying, hey, let this be the moment in time, that cathartic moment when you say, I'm driving a stake in it, God. From this moment on, I'm tethered to you. No matter where you send me, no matter where I go, I'm hanging on to you. I got my hand up. I'm walking with you. I got my hand out. I'm loving everybody around me. And so here we are. I want you to stand, and we're going to sing. The altar is open. I'm standing here if you need to be saved. Let this be the day of your salvation. Let's sing, God. We thank you for this amazing story that I didn't even scratch the surface of doing justice to God. 
It is all about you, God, being serious about sin. About you, although in your love and in your grace, God, you still, you still, you still have a wrathful judgment side because you're just and you're holy and you're perfect. And so, God, in this moment, change our hearts. Invite those that are lost into your presence. Help us be willing to lay it all down and say, God, I want to walk with you and I want to work for your kingdom because we don't know how many more days we have. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.